Christ. So what's the catch? If I have the mind of Christ, why don't I just walk out and think like Christ? Because Paul says, I have it. So there's got to be a catch. There has to be. Or else we, we that are believers, we just walk right out and we think like the Lord all the time. We have His mind, according to Paul. And Paul's right, because Paul was speaking and writing out of the Spirit of God, so he wasn't just sucking things out of his thumb. He was writing by the Spirit of God. And he said, God has given us His mind that He might instruct us. Notice that. It's in, in 1 Corinthians, what, chapter 2? Is that right, Brother Mark, I believe? So, with that being said, how does He instruct you if you don't have a relationship with Him and allow Him? That's the key piece. I remember, it's just coming back to my mind, I was with Sister Peggy Carr, who we've been with for years, and, and me and Anita were living near Peggy then. And we were living in a little trailer, and I was trying to decide where to go because the Lord was so dealing with me with the ministry in those days. And, and, uh, and I was trying to decide, do I stay here in Virginia? Do I move somewhere? What, what do I do? Do I work a job? Do I go out and preach all the time? What do I do? A lot of things going on. And I was seeking the Lord for direction of where to go. Now what He brought me in direction to was in His Word. It wasn't necessarily what I was asking God for. I was asking for direction. Or maybe maybe I, that was what I was asking for, but the answer I got wasn't necessarily what I expected. And sometimes that's the way the Lord will work. It, the answer you get out of God may not be exactly what you expect, but He began to direct my life in things according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And open vision that I could see. And give me an ear that I could hear. Now as I share that with you, that's available to the entire body of Christ. That's not available to a few select super saints. God doesn't have Moses. He doesn't have a one-man gang. Like He did with the children of Israel. That's not the mind of the Lord. The church is His body. Body corporately. The fullness, Paul writes of Him. The fullness of so collectively, if I understand that right, now I'm always allowing the Lord to correct me, if I understand that right collectively, the fullness of Christ is in His body. But if we don't allow the body to function, so if I don't allow the body to function, if I don't allow the body to minister into my life, then maybe I'll miss some of what God would have gave me. I may not miss it throughout eternity. I, you, you know, I won't debate, debate with you when you leave your physical bodies what's going to be. Uh, we'll just see. I, 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 have a, I have a belief, I guess, in my own heart. Again, I'm, I'm able to be corrected. I want to be corrected. I have a belief we'll continue to learn the Lord when we leave our physical bodies. 
Some people think it's going to be a snafu. Everything is, is uh, you know, we got it all in. I, I, I think God is kind of like the, the natural out here in this way. If you look at the earth, you can become a geologist and learn the study of the earth. Well, even in geology, you may learn the formation of rocks, but you may not understand the formation of all the trees and so on and so forth. I think God is a whole lot like that, that he, he expands in so many dimensions, like the earth, like the sea, like the sky and the stars, that, that this God that we've come and touched is going to continue to expand in our lives if we let him. And he's going to blow our minds if we let him. He's going to give us a new mind if we let him. But it's going to be what we allow. If I don't allow it, then I won't be changed. I see Christians that kind of kind of have an idea, well, I've been this way for 30 years, and I won't go, well, you're in trouble. <laughs> you should have been changed if you've been the same way for 30 years. Because when God begins to work in you, He's going to change your views. He's going to change your mind. He's going to change your thoughts. Just the way He is. Because He's going to bring your thought into His thought. He's going to bring your mind into His mind. He's going to bring your will into His will. And you'll even come to a place where that's what you want. Where you don't even want your own will. Or your own thought. Where you begin to desire, where that even becomes the desire of your heart. God, I want to know you. That's what Paul meant. I want to know you. I want to know your will. I want to know your way. I want to know your person. I want to know you. That's what the gospel will do. It'll transform you. And that's what he's doing, is transforming you. Well, we've been looking for some weeks at the brass feet of Jesus, and now we're going to get into the garment. And if you've never heard me before, I, I, I usually give you a double portion, because I usually preach a message before I preach a message. And so you get a double portion. So we conclude the first message, and we just move on into the second. I'm kidding, but... Or maybe I'm not. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. Sister Shirley's saying he's not kidding. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12. And I love this. I turn to see the voice. And you turn to see that voice and it'll, it'll, it'll cost you your lifetime. It'll be the greatest cost you ever made. I turn to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. 
and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. When I saw him, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So in the midst of seven churches, John saw one like a son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the packs, or a breastplate, a golden breastplate. And when I, when I look at this, the first thing that comes in my mind, and we'll probably get into this in the coming weeks, is the high priest, and we may touch in it a, uh, a little bit today, I'm not sure. But that immediately comes in my mind, the high priest. Well, why would that come in my mind? Because back in the Old Testament, the high priest wore a very specific garment. They actually had more than one specific garment for the ministry. And he was girt, or he was... He wore a breastplate upon his chest. So Jesus here is, is being identified with the articles of furniture that you find in the Old Testament. And if I don't read the Old Testament, I, I probably won't get much out of feet burning with brass. I probably won't get much out even of his clothing. So I have to go back and study the Word of God. If I don't, I'll just imagine that's what he looks like. And I'll try to put an image of that and maybe draw a picture of Jesus and having hair white as wool, eyes as a flame of fire, feet of brass. But he was in seven churches. So he was in a, a big area. In other words, he's filling up the whole church. Seven Seven speaks of completion. Seven, even the number seven is speaking. On the seventh day, God had finished His work and entered into His rest. Didn't mean God had to rest. God wasn't tired. But He entered into a finished work and He placed the man in the finished work. So seven, even the number seven is speaking to you when you hear it by the Spirit of God. And when we get a hold of these things, man, they, they, they speak life in you and they, they begin to show you the person of Christ. So, so I look at the garment and the Lord began to deal with me and He took me back to Genesis. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and then down in verse 21. In verse 9 it said, And Jehovah God, called unto the man and said unto him, Where art thou? So Genesis 3, 9. 
And he said, I heard the voice... I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman did it to me. The woman whom thou gavest to me with me, she gave me of the tree. And I did eat. So the woman calls me to do this. So yes, Lord, I ate of the tree, but it was the woman's fault. Uh, I'll leave that alone for a second. And Jehovah God, verse 21, And Jehovah God made for Adam and his wife coats of skins and clothed them. Now this really spoke to me. He clothed them in coats of skins because they were naked. Well, they were naked before they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but they had no awareness of their nakedness. They were not aware that they were naked. They had no awareness of their sin. They weren't conscious of themselves. So they, had a, they didn't have a conscious of good and evil. They didn't even know what it was. So here they eat of this tree and now all at once, wham, I'm conscious of good and evil. And, the pro, and this is in mankind. Mankind as a whole is conscious of good and evil. And mankind will spend a lifetime of trying to be right. Show themselves right. Well, I'm better than so and so. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do this. I don't do that. And I'll say to you, so what? Maybe God will say to you, so what? Good for you. So what? Because that's not the measurement. That's a religious measurement, but that isn't the measurement God requires. So when you come into a God's requirement, see, see, God clothed them with skins, and I and I saw that, and I went, "Oh my Lord!" So not only was Adam conscious of sin, the clothing that he was clothed with could never take away the guilt that was in his heart. In fact, there was a whole covenant that was built with the children of Israel around. Skins and flesh. They offered for hundreds of years offerings that could never purge the conscience, that could never clothe them with righteousness. And unfortunately, many believers run to that without even realizing they're running to it, trying to get clothed. Notice I said believers. They run back to that old covenant that God made through Moses for a time. And they try to come to God and say, hey, I'm justified because I keep the commandments. Kind of there's a story in your Bible, I believe, of the rich young ruler that told Jesus he kept all the commandments. 
And Jesus said, there's this one thing you do lack. Sell what you have. Give yourself up to God. Come follow me. Apostle Paul even wrote of himself in Philippians that according to the law, he was blameless. That's what he wrote. So you're talking about the good on the tree of good and evil? Apostle Paul said, man, according to the law, I'm blameless. I'm the good. I was doing it right under the law. But he said those things that were gained to me, I counted loss. I counted as done. I counted as, you know, refuge. That I might know Him and His righteousness. See, see, that is, is the heart that has to come. That I have no righteousness but that that is of Christ. Nothing I do or I don't do will make me righteous but believe on Him. Now, I want to be careful when I say that. Because you believe unto righteousness. Righteousness is actually said to be a gift. But once you receive His righteousness, you live out of Him. We're going to talk about that just a few minutes this morning. So the first clothing I find in the Scripture, you know, and we're contrasting Jesus' clothed with, clothed with a garment down to the foot. Adam and Eve were clothed with flesh. Garments of flesh, skins of flesh. And that skin of flesh, although it clothed their physical nakedness, it couldn't hide their conscience of sin. They were still conscious of sin. It's a big deal. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Here's this high priest stuff. Verse 11, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come. So, the high priest was ministering in the Old Covenant, but Christ is the high priest of good things that were to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. And he's contrasting the old building, the old covenant building here. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How many people's conscience is purged? This is a good question to ask. Because the conscience is the awareness. What are you aware of? 
Right? What am I aware of? Am I aware of sin? Am I aware of Christ? See, He's the minister of a better covenant. That's what, that's what I, I, I don't know that we really hear. It's a better covenant that God would take away your sins. Thy sins and iniquities, in Hebrews 8, He says, Thy sins and iniquities I will remember no more. No more. But see, we, we think God still remembers them. See, we still have a consciousness of sin much of the time. I'm talking about believers still walk around conscious of something that Jesus did away with. And how do I how does how does that work in me? What what can I do as a believer? Now this is a sinner, I'm talking about to a believer now. Sinner is stuck with that consciousness because the only the only remedy for sin is Christ. There's not another remedy. You're not going to live good enough. You're not going to get right. You're not going to make it right. You know those saying, "Let me get right with God. Let me get everything together, and then I'll get right with God." Well, you're in trouble because you can't do it anyway. That's just futility to think I'm just going to get everything right. What's so beautiful in God is I can just throw everything down, all my, all my horridness at His feet and say, here I am, Lord. I need You. I need a Savior. So that's, that's where the sinner falls in. We don't like to talk about sinners much in, in church anymore, but, but Paul did a whole lot of writing about sin and death. So in Paul's writing, there's a lot to do with sin, and there's a lot to do with the consciousness of sin. So, so believers almost believe they have to stay aware of being a sinner. But Paul writes, you are a new creation, created of God in Christ Jesus. Does that mean I'll never sin? No, it doesn't. But if I do sin, John writes, I have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. He paid for my sins. One day, that doesn't, that doesn't change one day. He paid them. He paid the price. So my reliance comes upon Him. So He's the mediator of a better covenant. This covenant doesn't have a continual remembrance of sin made year after year, but because God said in this new covenant, I'm going to write my laws into your heart and your mind, and my sins and iniquities I'm going to remember no more, because Jesus took, took them away. He was the scapegoat of the old covenant that they laid their hands upon and sent out into the wilderness carrying their sin. He was the sacrifice they slayed for sin. All 
then why do I still have a conscience of it? Because I need to put on Christ. I need to put on an understanding of what He's done. When I talk about putting on Christ, that's putting on an understanding of what He has done. That's why it's important to get into the Word of God. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to be built up in Him. See, these aren't just little words that the Apostle Paul just come up with. They, they, they have a very distinct meaning. So if I get built up in the knowledge of Him, I come to an understanding and I can live out of that understanding that I am dead to sin. Sin has no authority nor power over me, not because of what I did, not because of who I am in myself, but who God hath made me in Christ. I begin to declare what He's done. And this, is the, this can be a reality, man. Not just words on a page you read. Flip over to Galatians chapter, I believe it's 3. I got it in my notes where I wanted to go. You all are, it could be, a, yeah, 3. 23. Galatians 3.23 says, Before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was their schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. So the schoolmaster no longer has the authority. No longer under it. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So according to Paul, if you've been baptized into Christ, you've put Him on. Why am I not aware of it? That's a question I have to ask the Lord. Lord, if this is true, if the Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about, why am I not aware that I've put on Christ? There's need, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's like putting on a garment if you look at the Word. So if I put Him on like a garment, it's a whole lot better than those skins that Adam and Eve put on in the garden. Because those skins could never get rid of their guilt and shame. But if I put Him on, guess what? I can get free of guilt and shame. I can get free of guilt and shame because I'm wearing Him. Yes, sir. Because He's the remedy. See, He's the answer. See, for my guilt and shame, the answer is Jesus. So, because I put Him on, I don't have to be guilty before God. I don't have to walk around full of guilt and shame as a believer. In fact, I shouldn't. See, this is the ministry of Christ. What, 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 we get, what we've been taught a lot of is not the ministry of Christ. It's the ministry of the law of Moses. 
Because the law of Moses was a continual reminder of sin and shame and missing the mark to pick on Brother Mark here. Amen. So the whole that whole thing continually revolved around around sin and death. It was a law showing condemnation that I'm not right with God. I'm not right with God. But see, the ministry of Christ is far exceeds that law. And the ministry of Christ shows justification from sins. But why, why then are there so many believers that are tormented and they don't feel like they're justified? Because they've really not come to the ministry of Christ. Because Christ has covered your sins fully. Glory to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And the ministry of Christ can cause you to live victorious in the earth. That's what it will cause. It will cause you to change. But it has to change your mind. You have to move from that mind of, of the Levitical priesthood into a priesthood that far exceeds the Levitical priesthood. Because all the Levitical priesthood was doing was coming year after year, time after time, you know, on the Day of Atonement, and they were making atonement for sin, and every year there was a conscience of sin, and that priesthood was speaking of Christ. So it's important to read about that priesthood. But if I don't understand what it was speaking of, I'll get trapped in that priesthood. And time after time after time, I'll bring people to guilt, shame, and condemnation instead of releasing them from it. See, we're almost afraid to release people from it because then you get this idea, well, you're saying you can live any old way you want. No, when I release you from it, I release you to the Lord. You're the Lord's. And if you think you can live any old way you want to with the Lord, i got news for you, it probably ain't going to work out real good for you. Because you've been married to another. You're not married to the law. You're married to Christ, Paul writes. Well, if He's my head and He's my Lord, then there's going to become a working in me that wants me to live out of His life. It's not by the law. But it's His life in me. And His life in me will cause me to want to love my brother. It will cause me not wanting to backbite. It will cause me not to want to criticize my wife. And it won't be because, well, the law said I had to do this. It's because the life that's in me. Because the life that's in me begins to produce after his own time. Glory to God. Flip with me to Colossians. Colossians, I believe I want chapter 3. Yep. We can go back through this other. It's only been 31 minutes since I started the second message. Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, verse 1, seek those things which are above. So here's the first thing you've got to do. 
if you be risen. Have you been risen with Christ or are you still in your sins? Are you still an Adam? So you're going to have to determine if what he did, if you rose with him from the dead. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. And here i got to tell a story. I was talking to a brother this week on the phone. And I believe he said the Lord gave him a vision, a vision or a dream. Colossians 3. Did I say 2? I meant 3. So this brother said the Lord gave him this vision or dream and he was uh, in this gathering and it was a funeral. And lo and behold, it was his. <laughs> his funeral. So they were all together at this big gathering and he, I guess he went to his own funeral. And in it, what he began to see, God began to deal with him. You're dead, son. I crucified you. And he, and, and he was in a gathering with his family members. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, go back to your family members and begin to preach to them. He said, man, I've been doing that. And he said, it's, it's been powerful. Now, he said, his brother, he's a pastor, a friend of mine. <coughs> But he came to a reality that when he died, I died with him. And what he began to minister out of was his life. As he began to declare the life of another, the life of Christ in him. That, that you know, in a nutshell, is what he began to say. But this is what Paul writes in multiple places. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So at the cross, he did more than died for your sins. He did. He died for your sins, but he died as you. He crucified you. He removed you from the man of sin. See, that's how you can get free from sin is to realize you've been removed from that man. And you're in a new man. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him glory. Now, here's, here's the problem with making this someday out in the far future. Well, I ain't going to know the glory of God to someday out in the far future if that's true. That's a problem. Because that means I'm going to wrestle with myself for a long time here in the earth. And someday out in the future, He's going to appear and I'm going to appear with Him in glory. That ain't what this means. It says when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. This word right here is manifest. If you look it up. When He is manifested in me, then I am manifested as one with Him. Because I'm dead with Him. Just like Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6, I'm dead with Him that I might live with Him. So when He's manifested in me, I, I realize I'm alive with Him and He's my life and I'm manifested with Him in glory. Glory to God. Because He's the glory. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So I come right into God's glory. Mortify therefore your members which are on earth. See, if I don't realize I'm dead with Christ, I can't mortify my members. I can read this Scripture and I can try, but the power to put them to death is realizing they are dead through Him. 
that He crucified it. And He's my life. So now I can mortify my members upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil consciousness, covetousness, which is idolatry for this, for which things sake the wrath of God come upon the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another sin that you have put off the old man with his deeds. You put them off. How? Because I'm dead. i got to come back to verse 3 because if I don't, I'll go back up under the law and try to do it myself. I put them off because I'm dead. He crucified me. So I shouldn't live in this mess. Because He's my life. So if He's my life, I should be living far above uncleanness, unrighteousness, idolatry, adultery, all these things we can talk about. I should be living above them. Because He's my life. Not because I'm a super saint. He's my life. I guess you could call a super saint if he's alive. I guess it would be alright. It would be alright, Brother Andrew, to be a super saint if he's the super that's in you. Mm-hmm. Glory to God, because he's, he's what's making you super. But now you put these off, why not one another? Seeing that you put off the old man with these deeds and have put on. See, people don't see this and have, not going to, and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, where there's neither Greek nor Jew. Gosh, if the church saw there's not a Greek or Jew in the body of Christ. There's not a Greek or Jew. Circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Man, if I looked at you, Brother Andrew, as I looked at Jesus, I'd probably love you, brother. Wouldn't I? Probably wouldn't. If I love Jesus, I should love my brother. Why? Because we're one. We're made one. Put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. See, again, if I try to do that, and here's what Christians do. They read this and they say, well, I'm going to be meek. <laughs> you don't get very meek. Because he's the meek one. I'm going to be humble. You don't get very humble because he's the humble one. See, all this is out of the relationship Paul is talking about right there in the beginning. When Christ to Israel life is manifested. When his meekness is manifested. When his humbleness is manifested. He said, put it on. You put on the new man. And this new man is meek. He's humble. He's considerate. He's conscious of others. He loves others. You put on Jesus Christ. You're wearing around Him as your garment. You're not wearing around the garments of flesh back there in the garden. You're wearing around Jesus Christ. He's your garment. And He's how God sees you. So God sees you fully and wholly complete. And because of this, you put on this glorious nature, forbearing and forgiving one another. You, you, know, you know, you get into church of God, into believers. And believers will say, well, I can't go with so-and-so. 
Well, you don't understand the nature you're in. Because the nature you're in can forgive. What do you expect the Lord to do when you mess up? To forgive you? Don't you? Then you need to forgive your brother. You need to operate out of the same nature he is. See, see, this is the gospel. This is good news. See, see, the good news affects my life. It's not just this, this, this way out stuff that we get a hold of. It is way out because it's not carnal. It's not natural. It's, it's, it's different than the natural man. But it begins to affect my living in the earth. See, if my gospel, if I, if I get all this knowledge, but it doesn't affect my living, and I don't have any kind of manifestation with my brothers that I'm in Christ, I may be missing. I, I just may be. I may have a lot of understanding, but this thing should get into my walk, into my life. If I put on the Lord Jesus, He should affect my life. Right. And and what He's what He's been saying in my heart the last little bit. I don't know if it hasn't been the most dynamic stuff I've ever heard from the Lord. When He when He begins to make this real to you, you're freed from sin. Sin doesn't have any penalty over you, son. I'm the authority. See, when I read that a few weeks ago in Romans 7, God had spoke so in my heart. I'd like, to, I'd like to give it up to you. That it's not just a, you know, a sermon I preach, but I'd like to give it to you, man. I'd like to give it to you because of what it's done to me. You're dead to the law. We read that, but we don't understand what it means. That means the law has no authority. So when you go back and you start reading the law and you start pronouncing yourself as such and such under the law, you're actually speaking contrary to your head. Your head is Christ. The authority is Christ. He he is who Paul said you're married to. to. He said that you're dead to the law, that you might be married to another who has been raised from the dead. So what does this mean to you as a believer? This means that, 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 and I don't know how to do it, but put in words about messing up because this is on our minds so often if I mess up, if I mess up. If I mess up, I come back to my head and I say, Lord, you're my head. I don't have to wallow in guilt and shame for, for ten days or two hours to get God to approve me and love me again. Don't have to, because Jesus took my sin away. I'm just believing the Word of God. I'm just believing what He said. I'm just coming to the ministry of Christ. The ministry of Christ says, I am justified. If you want to be justified with God, all you've got to do is believe on Him. Know Him. Get in relationship with the Lord. You don't have to do anything else. Just get in relationship with Him. 
and he'll justify you. He'll make you whole. He'll cleanse you. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Give you rest from what? From the weariness of your soul. From the weariness of your mind. From the weariness from guilt, from condemnation, from shame. I'll do it, he said. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Get yoked up with me instead of the law. Learn of me. And when I learn of him, I come to freedom. Liberty. Love. Justification. You go down the line. I come to what he is, kindness, meekness. Because I learn of him. And that's, the new, that's what He's given you. It's what He's done. That you might have what He is. And this morning, if you haven't done that, just in the simplicity of making Christ your Savior, He's here this morning to be your very Savior, to save your life. He's here right now. Song we used to sing, just as I am without one plea. 